Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm Will Mallard, Social Impact Investor. I'm, I've got Toby Wild from Aparo. Uh, Aparo uh, are several things, uh, but they're real estate focused. Uh, they're an investment house and uh, they've got some quite innovative tech solutions, uh, particularly around the identification of uh, good value in the market. Now, we're going to be talking about the challenges in uh, the market as it stands, and uh, Toby's very well placed to consider that. Now, Toby, we might just kick off for people who aren't familiar with yourself and Oparo with the, uh, the the 20-second rundown on on uh, yourself and, and uh, the business. Absolutely. Um, so Oparo is, uh, Oparo Group is a technology company that uses algorithms, big data, um, to, to look for the best investment opportunities and to um, basically yeah, find, find niches within the market where we can make some money. Um, uh, we've got a residential side of our business, which is sort of a private residential investment fund, uh, or investment house, we're not a fund. Um, and then we have Aparo Social, um, which is um, principally what I'm running day to day, which is our social impact investment, um, which focuses on um, supported housing, later living, that, that, that kind of stuff. So, Okay, and you can uh, check them out at aparo.co.uk, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Yep. I, I always always uh, get the .com and the .co.uk, so that's oparo, O-P-A-R-O.co.uk. Um, you can check them out, and of course, Toby's available via his LinkedIn profile. Um, anyone who would like to reach out and um, make contact, do so. Now, Market challenges. There's all sorts of things going on out there in the world. There's all sorts of things going on in the in the world of real estate and uh, the money market. So maybe if we we kick off with um, with what what's happening uh, in terms of the residential markets, um, just right off the bat. Um. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to talk about the residential market as one residential market. You know hundreds if not thousands of micro markets, micro investment strategies, some of them going up, some of them going down. Um, so it's not, I mean, I suppose if you were going to talk about the residential market like an index, then I think as an index, it's been consistently going up over the last 12 months. Um, however, I, I mean, I've been banging and rattling this drum for a long time. I'm loath to see how it can go up much further. I think there'll be infills of area where it continues to to catch up sort of gentrification um uh -huh. especially where they invest in infrastructure or where you know you get a lot of um you know um 
lifestyle individuals moving in, um, you know, hipsters mm-hmm. or, or the gay community or something like that, where they, they sort mm-hmm. of take the premiere up around them and, you know, bring in nice culture to the area. I, I think we'll have a leveling out, as it were. Um, but I, I have to say, I'm in, I mean, I'm in the social element of our business, which is I know what we're primarily um, going to discuss today, but it's, um, I principally work in London, so um, not the gentrified areas of London. I'm not interested in the Mayfairs, not interested in the Kensingtons, um, which I would be if it were like Ells Court. It's a good, good area still, Ells Court. But um, but we're, we're we're dealing with normal houses, normal areas, normal people um, or disadvantaged people, um, you know, in our supported housing sector who, who need some help. Um, but yeah, I think generally, I think it's seen some real boom years. I think there's going to be a tightening down on credit going forward. Um, what in correlation with what's happening on the stock market. I mean, we were discussing briefly before this, I'm sure everyone's seen the stock market has had a 15% adjustment um, in the last well, year to date, 15 to 20%, depending on which market, um, as of the 8th of March. Um, it's um, So I, I, I think there might be a tightening on tightening loan. By the way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If you actually look at the correlation between the international uh, stock exchanges, the equity markets, um, compared to what they were 2020, you've seen a massive drop in COVID and they just rally, 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 rally to points where they're uninvestable. But I mean, that's based on ETFs, right? I'm sure you've read about ETFs. And, and the, uh, the level of volatility and the, the number of, uh, I suppose, um, gauges which are, are sort of uh, somewhat erratic at the moment. So you've got inflation uh, that, that seems to have just gone through the roof and appears to be still going up. Uh, you've got a war in Ukraine. You've got uh, the back end of, of COVID and the, the vaccine and, and all of the things associated with that. And, and, and while that's been happening, um, there's been a, a dramatic widening of the wealth gap, uh, purportedly uh, an uplift in 2021 of over $900 billion in, in collective household wealth within the UK, which is astounding as a as a figure in isolation. Um, and parallel to that, uh, a massive uh, increase in the, the net uh, debt, or I, I suppose the, uh, the, the number of people who are at or below the, the poverty line really struggling, cost of living is going through the roof, energy prices, uh, food prices, anything that uh, is some way related to uh, oil and gas or, or power, um, you've got starting to see uh, strikes for higher wages, uh, industrial action all over the place now. But at the same time, um, there's, there's uh, a dearth of stock out there. People are struggling to deploy uh, capital. Uh, there's a competition for deals. Um, I, I'm seeing um, just eye-boggling uh, prices on one hand, but... Uh, it's not being necessarily matched by uh, how the valuers are, um, uh, are valuing uh, individual deals. So uh, cash is, is a, you know, a very good way to buy, but if you're looking to uh, get a back-end refinance uh, on something, you're, uh, you know, you, you'd want to have a crystal ball to read what, what, what it's going to mean in, in six months' time. In terms of um, d- just focusing on that, that competition for, for deals, uh, what, what's been your experience about what, what's changing? And you're obviously very well geared up in terms of specializations. You've got a, like the super 
super tanker of a, um, a tech platform, uh, you know, to identify opportunities, which is a, a significant competitive advantage to uh, you know, a lot of people who are operating off, um, I, I suppose, the, the more commonly used uh, uh, real estate sourcing platforms. Absolutely. Um, in terms of competition, I think there is, um, I don't think so much competition is the hard part for us. I have to say, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this before, uh, and this is perhaps not what some of uh, the listeners want to hear, um, but I mean, it might actually give some framework of why sometimes they're quite un they're unsuccessful bidding. Again. Far away, far away. So there's a massive competitive advantage to being um, a professional outfit um, who have competed a lot of transactions and work within the niche sector. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to sound incredibly arrogant. Um, I don't mean it to, it's factual, it's not meant to be arrogant. There's a couple of London boroughs where, you know, if you're selling a, a large HMO or selling a care home, chances are we're bidding against it and we've done so many transactions there in the last 12 to 24 months, we have a certain reputation that actually gets us over the line um, and certain working practices to get us over the line. So it doesn't always come down to money, it comes on people's... Um, Certainty on your ability to complete within the uh, timeframes that matter to them and... Uh, on the terms that are in their mind, as opposed to uh, what what the uh, the easy way of doing it, or or uh, what your preference would be. Exactly, ability to perform is worth equal to price. Is is the point? I'm, I'm, yeah, is how you very eloquently put it. Um, so yeah, I think ability to perform is what matters, and I think that's I think that's why we we tend to we tend to be quite successful, but at the same time we tend to be very really realistic. I mean, I can give an example. I put a bit down on something yesterday and that was 37% overvalued. Uh, but I still bid on it because for us, it doesn't matter. I've gone, I've spent the effort, I've seen the building. I didn't realize how much CapEx it was going to be from the photos. They've got the photographer should win should win some kind of award for the job they did. The, the CapEx we, was, about two, it was about two times what we expected, therefore brought the value down so much. Um, and I'm sure these people won't take this bit, which is fair enough, but we backed it up with evidence. So we haven't wasted the agent's time, we haven't wasted our time. They know what, what parameters we buy on. Um, I mean, there's definitely, in the social housing, and if it's all right, I might just quickly actually say what we what we do in the social side. Just to get yeah, absolutely. Onto, onto the, onto everything. Um, so we, we basically, our social investment, our social impact arm, um, it's probably the hardest work of our business. Um, it is not an easy investment strategy. It is not a quick um, investment strategy. We've been in the space now since 2019. Um, we first started off building relationships with a view to invest in this space. Um, we only got our first mandate at the end of 2020. Uh, last year, we bought 13 buildings um, for 100 units of supported accommodation. Um, this year we are on, um, we're doing another 300 units. I can't tell you how many sites that'll be across yet. So, so far we've deployed about 20 million um, and we'll deploy another 80 this year into supported accommodation. Now, what that um, is, is housing for vulnerable adults. The people who have um, not complex care needs, but who have um, 
you know, uh, so it's SEN, special education needs, low risk mental health, um, survivors of domestic abuse, care leavers, ex-forces, homeless people, um, people who are in recovery from substance abuse. Um, we, we're not set up to house people who need competence. And people who are, are not familiar with the, the, the space, um, yeah. essentially what the, uh, I suppose the, the state and the councils and the health service are, are doing is outsourcing elements of the provision of accommodation and associated care out into the community uh, and that that's often best done by professional uh, providers that have a um, for want of a better term like a, a degree of focus um, that that's appropriate but not necessarily uh, at, at the sort of cost levels that uh, fully institutionalized uh, provision may may bring with, with all the overheads and uh, what, what have you. Well, I mean, I can throw a statistic at you there. It's, um, it saves the um, count or it saves it saves society uh, or the taxpayer on uh, on a whole about fifty two percent to house somebody in one of our buildings than it does to. Oh, and that's not just ours; that's across the supported housing space. It's about fifty two percent reduction in cost to the taxpayer to put somebody in supported accommodation as opposed to just deal with them through social services, the criminal justice system. Um, that that's a statistic from Shelter. You can find it on the Shelter website. Um, but yeah, fifty-two percent. But aside from that, that's look. I saving the taxpayer money is great. That's you know, it, it's a good, it's a nice thing to do. But actually, um, what what drives us and motivates us is um, is like myself. I've I've got um, an autistic sister. My dad was involved in a, a SDN charity many years ago. We found it, helped found and scale it to be a, a very good. Uh, education body for SENs um, and Babak, our CEO, he was um, involved in the homeless housing organization before this, um, as well as being an investment banker. Um, but it's um, it's about early intervention because early intervention with people is shown to help people lead a productive and happier life. It's great to save the current government money. You know, I think my dad's, the, my dad's policy of early intervention with SENs just on his college alone saved the taxpayer three billion over the lifetime of the students he had it at that one time uh -huh, um, uh -huh. three billion a year that is by the way um but for me it's actually about making uh you know i i make i make i make no secret of the fact it's a lot easier running a residential investment vehicle than it is a social investment vehicle it's a lot of work you have to buy the buildings put a lot of capex into them. and, and I, I think there's some parallels about the advantages of uh of scale where um your if you think about what, what's happening in the um, the private residential uh, sector, you've got um, huge numbers of uh, accidental landlords, people who perhaps uh, they don't treat it like a business, they don't treat it um, as a uh, something that, that um, uh, has the level of input that, that's required to provide a good service, a quality of accommodation, uh, uh, you know, which is safe, healthy, uh, and appropriate for the people living there at, at a, a value point that uh, makes sense. Now, uh, it's it's not rocket science. If you've got one buy to let, you're probably going to have to do a, a heck of a lot more work in setting up the administrative structures, uh, the compliance, the uh, coming coming to terms with the 167 pieces of legislation. And this is separate to. Uh, the requirements um, within a social scheme or and um, a, a supported scheme is even more complex again in terms of uh, what what you must do just to get to the start line. Yeah. 
yep. uh, let alone do it properly on an ongoing basis. Now, the other side of that is there, um, you know, all, all of this um, uh, is, is stuff that once, once mastered and scaled a, a little bit, um, it, it makes a, um, you know, a, a fantastic business model, like you're, you're providing a need-based um, product or service for, for people who there's going to be, you know, certainly for, um, you know, at my lifetime anyway, that there's going to be, you know, and I, I don't know about advances in, you know, in science and technology and things longer than that, but there's certainly going to be a requirement for uh, large numbers, certainly in the hundreds of thousands and uh, supported accommodation and in the millions uh, of, of wider uh, social housing. Um, so the, the, the market demand is there. Now, in terms of the deployment, um, as a uh, as an investment house, um, you've got areas of specialisation. How do you um, how do you allocate your your resources across, or are they they standalone siloed uh, entities joined only by uh, management conversations? Um, in terms of the group, or in terms of yeah, because the... they're they're different spaces. You know, um, providing yeah. student accommodation is different to supported housing. Uh, different yeah. to general residential, etc. We don't do student. Um, no interest in student, I'm afraid. Yeah, because <laughs> there's not there's not a need for it. There's no the, that space doesn't need to be disrupted. That's a very good mature investment strategy. The accommodation is is very good. Um, but student has created a void where the HMOs that used to be used for student are no longer suitable for student, and with a significant amount of capex, they can be suitable for 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 other people within the community, right? That's more the byproduct, but we wouldn't invest in student. Um, it's just not for us because uh, it's a mature market that doesn't need disrupting. Um, we the company is run uh, cohesively in terms of um, all entities share an office. Um, we we share information and intelligence. We you know we keep each other all updated all the time, but at the same time, um, it's. Um, but, it, but they're unsiloed effectively. So they're all separate entities operating under a group structure. They all have their own investment strategies. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, Aaron Yahaya, who's a, a good, good dear friend of mine and a colleague, he runs our, um, our sort of um, a tra a transactional business, running the de deals off the data for our partners, you know, looking for in, uh, opportunities that are perhaps under underappreciated or meet their investment requirements that don't meet our own balance sheet um, or investment mandates. Um, so effectively, you've got the technology is the overarching differentiator of Apparo, right? Um, the 500 million data points we monitor and the ability to predict the future, um, one might be able to say. I sound like even more arrogant, but I just, you know, just keep trying to keep it as simple as I can. Technology overarching everything. Below that, you've got social, you've got residential, then you've got the React, the React guys who sort of you know, origination of, of, of the products of the, the actual deals. Um, in terms of uh, deploying capital, you asked, um, or you, we mentioned earlier, I, I do think it's that, and going back to an individual landlord, um, it, uh, it doesn't, I, I'm not going to say it alarms me. Um, I don't think it alarms me. I think it frustrates me there's a lot of people trying to get into this space um, in the last 12 months in particular, 12 to 24 months, who are going about this as, uh, who, who view this in the wrong way. Um, they view it as the next rent to rent, the next service to accommodation, the next, you know, niche, you know, they're probably doing courses on it, paying for courses from people who quite frankly probably aren't that experienced in it. 
because um, if you knew the headaches in it, you probably wouldn't bother. Um, you have to go at this with the right agenda. And just thinking you're going to take a, a building that you're struggling to rent to private individuals or professionals because it's run down and that that's good enough for social tenants or vulnerable tenants, um, you have the wrong motivations and you will. I, I, I would hope you will be successful. Um, this has to be done for the right way. This, if done right, supported accommodation can make a big impact on people's lives. Um, that's why we're in it. That's why we do it. That's why we put all the time and energy and, and all the money into it. And as I said, it's not as profitable as our residential investments, but mm -hmm. there, there's there's a there's a social profit from it as well. Now, now just um, on this is the uh, I suppose there's a wider issue of professionalisation of, of of landlords. Um, there's an opportunity within this which um, the the um, I, I suppose the EPC slash uh, impending doom of people who uh, haven't uh, asset managed or, or put money aside to uh, meet the uh, upcoming requirements over the the, the coming decade uh, in their properties. So um, for, for people who are unfamiliar, very basic level, uh, the government's committed to um, improving the, um, I, I suppose, the energy efficiency, among other things, um, of the housing stock and of buildings across the uh, the UK. Uh, they've got a, a, a system um, of rating. Uh, those ratings um, basically are, are going to be used as um, means that will restrict your ability to uh, either um, sell or rent or obtain um you know market level funding via mortgages or you know other products it's uh, already happening all, seen it. yeah and and all, all all of the um all the people who haven't looked at this and um and perhaps have kicked the can down the road a little bit yeah. it's going to come home to roast pretty quickly and and there's a you know vast ways of particularly northern housing stock where uh, you, you might be talking about a property that's um, 100,000 um, pounds. If it's going to cost you 15,000 pounds to, uh, you know, to, to bring that up to uh, a rateable standard that you can do what you want to do with it, yeah. um, and your, you know, your that 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 could you know, potentially be increasing the the capital that you've got invested in that that one house by 50 percent. Now. Yeah. That, that's a game changer for, for some people. And in all likelihood, it's going to be too hard. They'll put their hands up and and effectively, you know, cut their losses, walk away. And the opportunity is is for people who, uh, or I see the opportunity is for people who are willing to do it as a, uh, you know, as a professional business with a, you know, a re relentless uh, parallel cost uh, and quality focus. Yeah. to come in and, and, and make these improvements that have been, you know, uh, talked about for years, legislated for years at this stage as well. And, um, you know, that the, the, the clock is counting down. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your game plan as far as, um, as this? So uh, I think it's interesting and I, um, it, it's very interesting. I was talking to a gentleman the other day who's uh, very much like me, pure resident, right? I've got no interest in commercial assets. Um, never been a passion of mine. Um, nothing bad or the wrong with them. I just don't, nothing enjoyable about them for me. Um, 
maybe because I'm not that evil. I don't like things big. I like things with purpose. Um, uh-huh. You know, I don't want a big empty shed. <laughs> anyway, point big. Um, there's been a lot of false starts in the um, in the institutional residential space, right? Um, you could go back as far as 1987 under the BES scheme, which gave out seven real estate fund licenses. John Howard had one. Um, a guy called Chris had one as well, I know. Um, and my mum had one, um, one of the seven. So it's interesting to see all these people, uh, the seven who got them back then. They usually partnered with asset managers and investment banks, and they took a load of money and deployed it into residential housing as a tax-free incentive. So that was the first, I, I believe, true start to get residential off the ground. Um, then the government came in, the recession happened in 90, when they basically the tax system ran out, property prices had gone down. I think my mum claimed she's the only one of the, uh, or the, one of two out of the seven that actually made a, a return for the investor. And because that's because she got a continuance, I should point out as well, she never uh-huh. sell on the market. But anyway, point being, a lot of false starts, a lot of people are saying residential, 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 if only they're away. I mean, Warren Buffett famously said, if I could buy, I can't remember the number, 100,000 or a million single family homes, I'd do it. I just don't, can't do it, right? Um, and I mean, Invitation Homes did something similar in America. But I think there's a direct correlation between the removal of the property ISAs, which were originally set up for first-time buyers to buy their homes. And it was a, you know, like a tax incentive to get your deposit. They stripped that name, cancelled them. They then cancelled all the peer-to-peer uh, licenses for the crowdfunding platforms. And now you have Lloyds and Nationwide announcing that Lloyds announced they're going to be the biggest landlord in the UK by 2030. Uh, Nationwide just did an actual property development, which I think is very risky. I think you know, time has shown if you want to show how to do something wrong, you give it to a bank to do. Um, no offense to the uh-huh. bankers out there, but you do it with estate agencies when you start buying up Bradford and Bingley and you know, uh-huh. and you bought one uh, in the Halifax estate agency. I think on some Allen and Harris, I think they owned. But anyway, they ran them all into the ground and it's just a bit of a nightmare. And it was all to sell mortgages. My point is, I think there's a direct correlation between what's happening now. I think the removal of the property ISA, I think the um, stripping of the peer-to-peer licenses, and I think the banks moving into residential landlord status means that we are going to have um, a real push towards you no longer a buy-to-let landlord. You know, we're going to tax you to death. If you want to make your 3% return net, which is what, you know, 3 4%, which is probably what the government thinks is fair or the banks think is fair for an average individual um, tax-free, then you sell your buy-to-let and you put it into a property ISA with your local high street bank and they'll misspread the risk across a load of properties. And what that will ensure is good quality housing stock for the rented for the tenants of this country, security of tenure, rights to have pets, right to house that have their own furniture, and and right, just do it the right way for Christ's sake. I mean, it's not rocket science, you know. I, I keep telling everyone my, my family's average weighted tenants, um, sorry, my average length of tenant my family portfolio. I say twelve years. I'm being, I'm being told I'm being conservative. I think it's probably fifty. You do it right, you do it professionally, you take care of your tenants, you give them the good quality. And this is why I've always said, give, I don't want to differentiate between residential and social, you know? Like the quality of the actual, the quality of the accommodation, the products they receive and the decorations they have in that house and the refurbishment timeframe should be no differential. You do it, if you're a professional, people stay with you. They treat you well, you treat them well. It's, it, it's a business like no other, but there's a lot of cowboys in it. There always has been. Because um, there's a lot of people who think that unfortunately it's a way to get rich, get rich quick. And I'm assure you it's not.
in terms of uh, valuations, um, you before you came on the show, you, you shared a, uh, a disturbing experience that you'd had recently. Uh, tell us about that, and uh, is this a wider trend in, in your opinion? Um, apparently, I was talking to a good friend of both of ours, Helen Shawley, the other day, um, and she obviously is a bit of a bridge between us all because I think she talks to a lot of us, um, so we all get to uh, anonymously understand what's going on in the market. Helen's an experienced, um, primarily debt uh, investor. Uh, she's one of the co-founders of Property Sisters, uh, quite an experienced non-executive director across the property sector, uh, property commentator, you can check her out on Property TV or her LinkedIn profile. Uh, and I, I think I think she she's a board member or, or, or a non-exec uh, of Opara as well. Is that, yeah. that right? Yeah, I mean, I can she's everywhere. I can, I can summarize <laughs> that, that. that took two minutes to sort of whistle off what I know, and I, I suspect that's about ten percent of what she's actually up to. So <laughs> I can summarize Helen Chorley in, in two words: living legend. Um, she's fantastic living legend. Um, she actually came around for Sunday dinner. Um, but we, but anyway, I was talking to her about what's going on in the market. And she says a lot of the developers uh, she works with are having the same experiences as, as we are, which is down valuations uh, on general market products, right? That might be because they think there's a bubble, that might be because the banks have, um, you know, um, discreetly informed people that they're not actually looking to deploy that much money, but they're not trying to create a panic um, in the market, who knows uh, what the what the reason behind these valuation is, so we can only uh, we can only you know, ponder, I guess. Um, but the point is those down valuations, and in particular with the supported housing space that we operate in, um, I want, the reason also I don't think it suits um, smaller landlords um, to a degree is, is, is the level of debt you need to leave in. So, because uh, you need to put a lot of CapEx typically into these old buildings to make them up to standard. Um, so, okay, you're making a bit of money on that. But then you're not getting the premium on the valuation because of the lease that people assume you do, which means you have to leave a lot of capital into them um, on when you do them on a buy-to-let mortgage, because banks and valuers in particular, banks get it, but valuers do not understand a rent-based valuation. They do not understand the scalability or the institutionalization, institutionalized nature of this. You know, you look at them in the stock market, you've got you've got REITs out there giving their investors a four and a half percent dividend. Um, for for social housing and you know so effectively they're being bought by a REIT of five and a half let's say by aggregators once you get to critical mass but you know you've got banks valuing them at nine ten percent in London you know some of them that what you know I've had I literally had a valuation this week on a building that they valued it on a, with a lease uh, supported housing lease they they valued it ten percent less than it's worth on on brick and mortar per pound square. Now, of course, I'm complaining. And about and, and the my understanding is um, and, and so we've uh, our approach to this because um, I, I won't say the whole business revolves around uh, income based valuation where you, you take a unloved asset. <laughs> You, you upgrade it, you you know, and, but you then lease it to an organisation, uh, and ideally on you know uh, terms which work for everyone. Uh, and, and the stronger the uh, the covenant, the the stronger the quality of the lease, the stronger the quality of the tenant, um, the higher the the, the multiple, and, and hence the lower the, the the yield percentage associated with that. We we, we take an approach where we, we get a partner level. Um, value a typically uh, a Rick's, um, Rick's fellow type person 
to not only talk to the valuer, but to talk to the valuer's boss and uh, understand the methodology to provide any any possible comparative evidence. Um, and, and it's still hard work, but the, the root of the problem revolves around the, the valuation companies um, getting, um, uh, getting appropriate levels of professional indemnity uh, cover and the instructions from from those in relation to uh, to schemes and and what what this comes back to is essentially uh, what you're talking about with the aggregators. There's been numerous um, uh, like relatively well uh, documented or, or certainly within the press. And if you you know you, you want to do further analysis, you can uh, you can find a lot of the stuff out publicly where uh, the aggregators have essentially um, sold a lemon on to the uh, the, the, the public fund yep. and and the lemon is in the lease where they've, they've brought something they've put a lease in place the lease is not sustainable uh, it's not necessarily with an organization that um, you know you, you you'd have a comfort level in terms of their ability to perform or indeed to be in business you know over the term of the lease and that, that's a pity because the you know uh, the Done right, this is a fantastic business, um, and it's a hell of a hard uh, space to to master. And um, you know, I, uh, I I'd encourage you, as you would, you know, if people are thinking about doing this, uh, have a long hard think about your willingness to learn it. Yeah. Okay, you might have a pile of money, you might have a pile of property experience. Um, this is not easy. Um, but having said that, lots of opportunities. Um, how how do you you guys handle the the, the valuation elements? Uh, uh, argue, <laughs> argue. Um, just just I argue. Um, I'll probably I'll probably claim for compensation. I'll probably well I'll probably claim for a refund. Of course, for that one. To be honest, as I said, they they valued it. Uh, it <clears throat> it's. Um, the rent based value is 143% of what the, 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 the what they valued it at. And that's only a 15% spread from the true brick and mortar valuation. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's nuts. It is, it's very frustrating, um, but we just argue. I try and lead them as well. I try and give them data, I try and give them evidence and bear in mind, I've got myself, I, I'm, you know, due to the qualifications I've got, not as a, not as a degree in real estate or anything, but my experience and some, you know, um, continued professional development I did when I was a state agent, I could become RICS or certainly associate of RICS if I wanted. I've got guys in my office who are titled to be members of RICS, you know, between Jack Jiggins, Thomas, myself, Ben, the guys in my office, Christ knows how many years experience we've all got. Like Aaron even, you know, sorry, I forgot Aaron. Aaron and I got 20 years experience in this industry alone, each. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I started and, and doing, but both of you doing a, a really interesting range of things in a really interesting range of contexts as well, I, I might add. Um, if you have an opportunity to go into the back episodes, um, look up both Aaron and, and Toby's um, My Property World profiles. Um, They're uh, the, the, the epic stories about all, all, all sorts of things, not just real estate, but uh, I, I'd recommend it. I'd recommend Aaron's. He's led a far more interesting life than me. I'm one dimensional. I got into real estate at 15 and I stayed in it till now. 
yeah. uh, you, you, you tell a, a much better story than you're giving yourself credit for on this call. So, um, I, as I said, check it out in the back episodes. Now, um, ESG, so your... Um, your can, sorry, can I just finish answering one, one part of that question? Which yeah, absolutely. Asked. Back to valuation. I scribbled. No, well, it's not... It's, it's about valuation, but it's also about what we mentioned about uh, providers choosing the right providers as well. Something I'm noticing, a common theme out there, is that people keep mentioning KICs, right? CICs. Oh, no, it's great. You've put a CIC in. That's, you know, not for profit. You can set up your own CIC and then you can lease it to the council. Just an FYI for, for the listeners out there, I think this is an interesting statistic to bear in mind in terms of how difficult it is and how much regulation there needs to be and wants to be within the space, okay? So... Uh, to ensure that it is done correctly, I feel is the justification for doing this because there's no other good reason to do it. Um, they, uh, the, the, the government stood, uh, sent down a directive to local councils that if you're a CIC, a community interest company, running supported accommodation, you are only entitled to 70% rebate as a council. So every pound they give you, they only get 70% back, which is a massive disadvantage for them. So the whole point is CICs are very touch light regulation. There is no regulation. They're not registered with the charity commission, from my understanding. They're not registered with the register of a regulator of social housing. So there's no, and I don't even think they have to be registered with, well, they don't have to be registered with the CQC. So there's no quality control. That's why they get 70% back in the pound. I feel I could be completely wrong on that. I'd be interested to know your view, but the point is, Getting an RP, getting a charity to take leases from your building is nigh on impossible. Um, it takes years of effort, really good deals, really, you won't make as much money as you think because they have so many regulatory burdens on them to ensure compliance, profitability and quality, which is the most important. But I'd be interested to know your... your, your yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so it actually uh, brings in two uh, essential elements to this space. So, so what, one is the uh, scheme design and the the uh, I think one of the, the the biggest blockages to growth in the sector success as a uh, in deployment if you're looking to get in this um, is the range of models there's you know well in excess of 60 different uh, user categories each of which have different needs each of which uh, have different support slash care slash extra care requirements each of uh, each of those words have quite different meanings uh, the the funding structure based on um, what what the, the scheme structure differs also so uh, the the local authority um, uh, so in a uh, traditional model you've got a um, uh, you've got a borough council uh, which typically the housing departments will fall into uh, and a county council where the adult social care, uh, which may or may not be the appropriate department falls into. There's multiple departments within each of these, um, uh, or, or uh, uh, I suppose, commissioners. Um, your your ability to navigate this uh, in parallel to uh, setting up. So who's going to be on the lease? There might be one organisation signing the lease, but there can be up to nine organisations. And within those nine organisations, um, uh, you know, uh, up to, or when I say up to, it can be actually more than this, but uh, certainly two or three, and in some cases, four separate departments and the different people who are involved with each of those who have to be involved in the, the signing off. And this is to, to get one less signed. Yeah. Um, now, 
Um, people uh, can, uh, you know, who, who get frustrated by the, the lack of progress or the delays uh, in putting it together, um, they, they, put, they blame it on the, the people signing the lease uh, or, or that they're wanting to sign the lease. Uh, and the reality is that there's a bureaucratic, uh, what, if you think about what I've just described, to map that out, you would need a whiteboard the size of the back wall. Yeah. Now, uh, and that's before you get into the detail. Yeah. Um, now, the, the variations uh, within this, like your, like anything, uh, different categories have um, di different, uh, I, I suppose, impacts, and, and they also have uh, different levels of potential profitability. And this is before we start talking about the property element where, you know, you, you know, uh, it's basic stuff. If you're able to find something uh, that uh, when you, you put the all-in cost in, you, if you can create a value which is greater than that cost, it's a good thing because you, you've created value by, and if your cost of finance of getting to that point is less, yeah. uh, you're, you're up, basically. Yeah. Now, you add in the, uh, the, the lease element and... Um, what, what the, uh, in my mind, there's, there's kind of three pieces to this. So you, you've got who the provider is, uh, the quality of their, their uh, firstly, their balance sheet. Uh, are they, you know, as could reasonably ascertained a good risk? And I'll, I'll use the example of a retail on a high street. So if you have a, um, a pop-up shop going into a building and they're paying a, we'll just say it's £5,000 a month for that space, yeah. uh, but it's on a rolling monthly basis. The value of that income is one month, basically, uh, or, or maybe two, like, you know. Um, now, if you have that same 5000 rental level, but you've got a Lloyd's Bank Group branch in there, there's a no-break clause 20-year lease in place, that's worth a hell of a lot more than the pop-up shop uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the, the, the value of the income. Now, uh, uh, the same thing applies with, uh, and, and you, you get that literally that, that level of extreme. Like if you think about uh, the 2,500 different registered providers of social housing, uh, of which um, last time I looked, it was about 1,300 uh, uh, housing associations. And, and, and add on the, the other elements. So the people who can be on the lease uh, can, can be any or all of uh, all of these. It can be a registered provider. It can be a charity. It can be a community interest company, which uh, is often the provider of the care um, for the individuals in there. It can be the council who indeed are, uh, you know, uh, have the ability to be registered providers themselves. Now, uh, we uh, we could go on and on uh, around the detail of this, but those those three elements. Um, uh, just to finish the the, the point, um, or, or the three uh, the three pieces that are important in terms of uh, adding to the, uh, the the value. So the first is uh, who who is on the lease? Who are you? Uh, who's standing behind it? What's their quality standards? Are they a registered provider? Uh, what is their, uh, how are they, they viewed uh, formally by the regulator of social housing, if that is the case? Uh, and if they're a charity, how are they uh, viewed within the, the, the charity's regulation? 
Um, are they have they been challenged? Are they you know uh, are they under investigation? Is there you know uh, anything going on in the background? Uh, what, what's the quality of the board? What does their balance sheet look like? All of those things uh, should, in my opinion, uh, uh, you know, obviously uh, impact on the value of the thing, uh, all else being equal. The second is the, the lease. Yeah. Now, uh, what's in the lease? Um, you know, there's, a, there's a great line from a, a leasehold specialist that the answer to everything to do with uh, leases is, is read the bloody lease, and I, I concur. Uh, having having read, um, you know, numerous documents that other people have put in place for, you know, for, for schemes, and it's it's blatantly obvious that neither the uh, the provider of housing, or, or at least the uh, the landlord, nor the issuing um, or, or the, the the tenant who's taking it, neither of them have read the lease, because if either of them had, they you know they they wouldn't have signed it. But they have signed it, and that's the deal. Now, that's obviously not going to be worth as much as something that's ironclad. Uh, it's set up well. It's sustainable. It's no good having a, a you know a, an ironclad lease if it's not possible for the people to uh, make it through the twenty years or what, whatever the period that you're you're signing up. The regulator won't let you sign twenty-year leases anymore across the board. This is not this is not possible. Um, in my opinion, or my experience, they'll just come in the regulatory notices, and you'll get straight in trouble. I point out it's an interesting. But there, there are there are some uh, some methods around that, but we uh, we we digress. Uh, market views. So I, I don't want to give away too many trade secrets, but certainly on the asset profile yeah. we're talking about, and I imagine most of most of the listeners will be talking about, they won't get more than five 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 to ten. If they're really lucky. But just thinking about, I'm thinking about not to assume too much about the profile of, of listeners, but if we're talking normal small HMOs, you know, couple of units. Uh -huh. You know, up to you know, say five, six. Um, you're not going to get more than five or ten on them, are you? Um, otherwise, well, you could be. It, it depends on the scheme. Would be my, my my short answer, but it would be hell of a hard. Would be uh, absolutely accurate to justify it with the regulators. So, yep. um, but my but it took us four months with our with well our principal original RP uh, to negotiate a lease that was uh, good with the regulator, good with them, good with us. Four months before we even did a deal. Um, so I, we're, I think a bit like you, we're probably one of the very few people who has read the lease. Probably, I could probably quote from it like the Bible, uh, uh -huh. but um, it's uh, it's but it but it's done once. And, and like the Bible, which version of the Bible are you reading uh, is is actually quite relevant. Uh, when, you know, the devil is in the detail, literally. So, well, unfortunately, the Book of Toby has been removed from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> There was, actually a book, there was actually a book of Tobias in the Bible originally. Um, yep. book of Tobias, but yeah, it's been removed. Um, now, so I, I, I'm just going to, uh, there's a third element that we, you know, so, yep. so we, we had the, who's the lease with, what, what's the, uh, what's in the lease, uh, and then what's the scheme that's underlying um, this. So who's involved, what's the structure, what's the, uh, I, I suppose, the certainty and likelihood uh, and the basis of that money coming in uh, over what period of time and you know you're talking about different things uh, and, and a lot of it uh, boils down to who you've chosen uh, to provide housing for uh, I don't want to oversimplify it but that, that's probably the the lowest hanging piece of fruit in terms of if you had to choose um, you know where where are the uh, differentials and value either up or down it's who you choose to 
uh, to serve essentially, which is, you know, uh, that's business 101 stuff. Uh, we, we probably, you know, uh, probably a little bit uh, beyond that today. But our, um, our, our other point, I'd love to hear your view on this. And this is, this is where uh, someone like Toby, um, he, he's moved at all sorts of different levels within the, uh, the property space. But now, now he's moving. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a, you know quite a conscious decision into the capital market, starting to do some much, much bigger stuff. Um, now, I, I would add that there's a you know there's a, a family history of doing some enormous stuff over time, um, and and you've got a background, and you certainly got connections um, that are you know enviable. ESG, so the environmental social governance aspects maybe just um your, your quick thoughts in terms of uh, how important that is and, and what what the you know two or three key points in, in each that you you see as important in today's market um absolutely i've actually i've been scribbling notes on esg while we've been talking because that, that is why i'm that's why i'm enjoying and i'm excited about um, but just briefly on the capital markets, I wouldn't say it's out of vanity or ego that we're looking at capital markets. I think it's actually um, capital markets understand this product. Um, challenger banks, small banks, they struggle to understand it. Their valuers, um, they're useless. Um, so I think it's actually understanding the value of long-term income and the fact that this is, you know, I, I heard one, someone once describe this as a guilt, but at 5%, you know, which it makes sense, right? It doesn't, it, it makes sense. It's because it's government-backed income, which is and it's five percent, which is a reasonable return. Um, so it allows pension funds and people like that to actually put the money into something that does some good and generates re reasonable returns. So ESG, which is where I love, and the first thing I'm going to point out is because I, I worry sometimes I come across as you know a bit sanctimonious and a bit I, I enjoy it. I want to make a difference, and I I enjoy this side of our business. Is why I focus on it. Um, but I want to really point out we are not a charity. We are in this for profit. Um, I want to do some good while we make some profit. Our, our, our desire to do good impacts our profit margins um, uh -huh. considerably. Um, but we are not a charity. We do not just give away our money. It is, It is. there has to be recom uh, recompense uh, or um, I think I'm using the, that word incorrectly there. But <laughs> You're commercial, but you won't eat your own children uh, is what you're saying. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, it's not just that. It, look. I mean, everyone who knows me knows I live a very humble life. Um, again, I, I, like, you know, I, I, li I live in an area where I can walk to work every day. So I save money. I don't have a car. I don't like go out, you know, like to expensive restaurants or clubbing. I don't like, you know, that's just not me. Um, you know, we, we are we are all of us within my organization. We, we still, despite our, 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 our success thus far, are living humble lives because that's not what motivates us. Our motivates us is growth and scaling something, right? So making a profit is not actually, for me, about taking dividends for myself. Um, my partners would not be happy if they heard me say that. And, uh, it's not. It's, it's not the motivation. It's about growing. Actually, they know. They know it. I'm only joking. They know what my motivations. My impact. My, my motivation is to build things, but bigger and bigger, and create more and more. Um, it's about scale. It's not so much about margin. Um, things have to be profitable to de, de risk scaling, and things have to be profitable in order to create scale. Um, but we're not a charity, but like you said, we make sure we have work with the right providers who get the money back. 
we are we know what we are right we're real estate investors we are we have a fantastic interior design team who focus uh, qualified interior design team who focus on wellness enabled spaces using the concepts of psychologically informed environments so we we know how to configure the buildings we've got a fantastic architect Ben Richards, who squeezes the most out of it in terms of within our parameters of what we consider as ESG friendly, um, overperforming the market in terms of room sizes, quality of accommodation, durability of, of stuff, even furniture. You know, we we we've been sourcing our furniture from far-flung parts of the world in order to ensure it's not just buying a dining chair that's twenty quid in plastic and will break on the first you know, uh, overweight and then sits on it. It's metal and wood and it will last the whole bloody lease, you know, as long as someone doesn't throw it out a window or something. Um, you know, it's about that kind of small thinking that actually makes a big difference. Um, so that's what we're good at. We're good at investments, raising money, deploying money, buying buildings, and then our delivery team, including Charles Rose, by the way, who caps a hat off to Ben Richards and Charles Rose. I'm going to give him a plug here. We got 355 objections into one of our schemes due to a um, a campaign of misinformation by a local resident um, who just didn't want us doing it next to them. Basically, never, never. Yeah, um, but, but, yeah. The campaign of misinformation. Um, when I'd engaged with them prior to it being submitted as well, I told them what we we're going to do. You know, they told us we were going to build them a wall, a ten foot wall, and I said no, that wouldn't be like that. Like, like you know, it's not what we do. Um, it's about enabling, embracing warm environments. Um, uh, but I wouldn't pay the price they wanted for their house, basically, or they were going to try and sell it to us. So they, anyway, they led a campaign against people, um, you know, to get people to say no. They're right to do so. Fair enough. I disagree with it, but point is, Charles Rose, Ben Richards, took us to the committee, and we got it through. Um, they well done. Yeah, I mean, we were exceed. Look, the planning, the planning argument made no sense. Charles had done an incredible job there. Ben had done a fantastic job of design, but then it comes down to moral argument, and actually, it comes down to identifying nimbyism and calling it out effectively. Of we engage with the community, we have a great track record. Our provider does. That's what we're good at. What we're not good at is pastoral care services. That is not us, right? We don't know the needs of the tenants. We can't meet people and ask them the right questions. We can't run a team of support workers. We wouldn't want to if we could, because we need to have a degree of church and state. Because in state, i.e. the investor in the property, we need to be almost brutal in terms of economics of it. Does it work for us? Does it work for you, right? Simple as that. It has to work commercially for both parties. As, as church, they need to provide the warm embrace of the community and the services that these people need to 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 lead a productive and happy life after their six to 24 months stay with us so that's why i'm quite direct to the fact we're not a charity and we are we are we are state effectively we have to be a little bit brutal in terms of we can do this we can't do that that means i understand you need that so i'm not going to buy that building simple as that but it's a volume game you know, we look at we look at probably twice as many buildings as we buy um, but when people get an offer from us, they know that we will buy. But yeah, ESG, we want the best quality buildings, all refurbed, done exactly the same to reduce the, to reduce the overheads. We want the pastoral care to be provided by someone who knows what they're doing, cares and can ask the right questions and not move one bad apple into a, into a building. And even things down to doing like smaller buildings, like we've done loss-making buildings. Like people are not going to believe me when I say this, 
that we've done loss making smaller buildings because the profile we know that there's an, a, a need for domestic abuse survivors who cannot be in a building with a six to ten other people right it is not good for their mental health so we've gone out and we've bought like 30 beds which are which are in smaller buildings so that we know we've got units where where there can be um you know a calm calmer environment for, for, for that resident you know they're not going to be they're not going to be having an anxiety attack anytime someone slams a door you know um but it's about having it, it sounds all very simple when you, when you put it like this but actually the amount of thought that has to go into all this stuff and you, you've experienced it yourself i'm sure you learn as you go you think as you go and, and you have to think about this from a terms of what's good for the provider um as a second thought First thought is what's good for the resident. Second thought is good for the provider. Third thought, what's good for us in the investment house? Does it work? Yes or no? And that's the final check. If it doesn't work for us, we're not doing it, which means the other two can't happen. But we can't put a burden on ourselves. We can't put a burden on the provider and we can't provide inferior accommodation for the resident. That's our rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Toby Wild, as always, a, a pleasure. Um, so you can, as we said earlier in the, the show, you can look up oparo.co.uk. It's uh, oparo.co.uk. Uh, Toby Wild, a pleasure. Uh, I'm Will Miller. This is My Property World Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, mate. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together, whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.